It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Podcast like it. Just podcast like it. Podcast like it's night. Hello and welcome to Podcast Like It's 1999, the podcast where we talk about the films of 1999 from up here on the shelf in 2019. I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Nybart. And I'm Phil Iskov. You mean the shelf in Andy's room, right? Specifically? Of course I mean the shelf I'm in Andy's just, room. You know, it just seems like, you know, it's a little vague. This is, this is part <laughs> two of our Toy Story 2 episode with Griffin Newman. Um, we're going to go ahead and get right back into the discussion. So let's just breeze through the plot real quick yeah. because we've hit a bunch of a bunch of it. But um, I kind of just wanted to. So the credits at the beginning. Your yeah. your ten year old Griffin. Yeah. The credits start. Wh- how are you feeling in this moment? Like, is this just? Are you scared or are you just like? I know this is going to fucking I mean, slay. I, I, I not to repeat myself, but truly the happiest I've ever felt in my life. I started like from second one feeling a sense of security. I'm very nervous. Uh, but you're a nervous person. I'm a very nervous person, you know, <laughs> sure. but I had faith in them, but it was like there's a lot riding on this yeah. in terms of my uh, psychological stability for the next couple decades. Right. This movie is really going to be sure. a turnkey in one way or another. Uh, but I even just like the, the boldness of the sort it's of the credits, Superman, parody Superman parody flying thing. And I was yeah. just like, okay, they're going for it. Yeah. whatever. I don't know what the joke is here. Yeah. Starting in space seemed really weird. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's such a great opening. Buzz just killing it and just see like the coolest you could imagine Buzz to be. Yeah. Is how they start this film. Which I also think, I think this movie's relationship to its opening is something that uh, Edgar Wright bases the rest of his career off of. Because I feel like Edgar Wright in his movies now does 
the, this trick always where in the opening scene you give the fake version of what's going to happen for the rest of the movie. That's really because funny. everything Buzz does That's in true. the Zerg sequence is mirrored or repeated in wow. some way. That's really uh, down to the physicality or the beats of it. You know, his rescue totally mirrors this one to one. That's really in the way that, like, you know, World's End. It's like the names of the pubs yeah. are the arc of their relationships to each he other. He just telegraphs the whole thing right. for you. He telegraphs just, yeah. the whole yeah. thing for you. And it, Baz it's, Luhrmann does that as well. <laughs> yes, but it's one of those amazing magic tricks yeah. where it's like they tell you everything that's going to happen. It doesn't ruin it for you. It, in fact, gives you a sense of clarity yeah. and a sense of, like, victory when they land each beat. Well, the, because the, it's all lining up perfectly. The prime example of that, and you talked about this on the yeah. podcast, but Titanic, when they walk you through <sighs> right, what the happens. The best. It give, it's the best, right? Because yeah. you're like, fuck, okay, great. Like, now I'm locked in and I know as it's happening mm-hmm. what is that. It's, it's brilliant. It's just really right. smart. You create the shorthand yeah, yeah, so yeah. that when yeah. you actually get to the point where the movie is running. And Inception yeah. does the same thing. When yeah. people complain that it takes an hour to explain all the rules yeah. that's so that when the movie really kicks into gear they don't have to explain anything yeah, exactly. and it's just like just pure satisfaction it's, of these things hitting on all cylinders that's much better than my take on the beginning <laughs> <laughs> but i'm gonna give it anyway sure um i my 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 very simple take was uh they do the thing that this they do the thing in this that the simpsons does all the time which i love which mm-hmm. is we're gonna make you think that we're telling you story a yeah and it's actually story B. My, my favorite example of that is the episode where Homer gets the medical marijuana. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that one? Yes. Vaguely. Yes. Yes. It's the episode where he has the issues with the crows. Yeah, sure. So yes, yes, start, yes. And you think right. it's going to be Homer versus the crows, yeah, yeah. and the crows are the ones who peck out his eyes. They always have a false becomes, act one. It's yeah. wonderful. Yeah, and yeah. I thought that's I I, I you thought that's I thought what they were, it, yeah. No, that's what they did yeah, do. But yeah. I thought that immediately with with uh, with Toy Story two, the same exactly the false. Mm-hmm. Act one false credits sequence here, which I, I love, but yours is far more interesting. It's also um, – I think they took it from Toy Story 1. Am I not correct? They that there wanted was an to ass- do There was this. a version of yes, this correct. that they were going to put in right. Toy Story they 1? They wanted to do the, the sort of Buzz Lightyear in his world so you understood how awesome he was. Right. And I think it was – they never cracked where to put it, yeah. if it was front load again. I mean, I mean in the first one you have – the the opening the cold opening is Andy playing with them so you have a similar kind of all three of them start with a fictional narrative yeah but in the first one you see it's a kid's hand you yeah. see that the dolls aren't moving you understand that yeah two is doing the same thing but it's putting you in, in the, the fake game. narrative yeah. right which it's it's kind of interesting too like I loved it it's great it's yeah. kind of a siloed off thing yeah. from the movie that doesn't really actually matter but it's also like bit. a really sophisticated no, it's like great. good like it's like the opening of raiders of the lost ark yeah, or yeah, something yeah, yeah, yeah. and no, this is like one of these things before you even get to like the emotional psychological yeah. complexity of this movie i think like critics are going like wait a second, this is like very intelligently constructed yeah. like this is like spielbergian like clarity and well right like, into the gate you get the impression that this movie is it's playing at another level and it's doing something pretty right. immediately i think i mean toy story one obviously did that but I felt like sitting in the theater for this one, you almost immediately feel like they're doubling down. And you're bre- – like they're breaking the rules they set up in yeah. the first one. Like in what context is this scene going to gel with the rest of the film? Yeah. Uh, I, and I remember – right. The credits, I'm like this is funny and then you have the sort of speedball, you know, the fireball effect. And then when it goes in on Buzz, yes, Buzz right. was never my guy. I was always a Woody guy, right? <laughs> and I got the Buzz doll because I was like – I got I'm completionism. He's a sure. cool toy. But I was always like Buzz, that's not my wavelength. And I just remember when they do the cut in to his face with the flames and the the Randy Newman like Buzz Hero 
theme, like Blair's, I just went, that's my fucking guy. <laughs> you know, it was like, I didn't even realize how much I missed you, Buzz. I, 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 like, I, I thought I was here for for Woody. Even Potato had a Buzz. Yeah. I was more of a slink guy, but I was like, that's my fucking guy. I, Buzz Lightyear's back, baby. I want, I want to clarify my point. That's how I am, too. Sure. Buzz won me over. Yeah. I, those are my, my guys are the people who Andy had, right? Right. Woody and his guys, and this interloper comes in and ruins their situation, <laughs> and he – I think that's the story of Toy Story 1 to right. some extent. Like yeah. how, how, Buzz, how Buzz kind of reckons with the fact that he is a toy, but it's really just how wonderful it is to be a toy, how like toys are created right, there's value in, in such a way. Right. Yeah. yeah, there's value in being a toy, right. and, and at their core – they're all really good. Right. You know? But but this opening is like, we're going to show you why Buzz thinks he's so cool. Yeah. Because he is. I mean, right. I, the, his whole, like, arrogant, delusional yeah. thing, it's like, let's you give, for it. all of you who had a little bit of, like, friction with Buzz in the first movie, <laughs> it's like, I was happy with the story function he served, but I was like, that's not a character I'm connecting right. to. Yeah. They I, sell you on him in those first couple minutes. Right. You're like, yeah. Buzz rules. Yeah. He's Indiana Jones. Like, once he dodges the boulder, you're like, I'll go anywhere with this guy. Did, he's effortless. Was there a glow in the dark version of Buzz? Yeah. I'm yeah. assuming there was. Because when he goes glow in the dark, yeah. I was like, that's fucking cool. I right. Hope and they have that in the first one. They don't use it as much as a story point. Right. But but they do like that was one of those things where I remember seeing it and being like, Oh, these guys are good. Like they're animating that he glows. <laughs> they know, like they just I don't know, they do a phenomenal job. Basically, at this point, Andy's preparing to go to cowboy camp. Right. And uh with Woody and while playing with him, he accidentally tears his thing. That right. tear fucks you up yeah. I, I, another adult gasp moment in the we're theater. just like oh sh-. like you, you just you're like he's mortal like right. there's just something you know what i mean and especially I, because it's like here's the opening we're winning over all of you who have been holding out on buzz right all the skeptics <laughs> yeah. we're gonna rope yeah. the final 10 percent of you in. <laughs> yeah. then you get just utopian andy's room yeah and i remember being like they're they're reintroducing all the characters so well that this would work even if it was the first one which I feel like a lot of sequels take for granted. Like, well, you love the characters in the first one, so yeah. we'll just start. Yeah. And it's like you need to give them, like, a character a beat to, yeah. to warm them back in. Yeah. And all the dynamics are so good. And I – in the first one, like, I, if I had any complaints about the first one at the time, I was like, yeah, but once Woody and Buzz get abandoned, you're not getting enough Slink, Rex, Potato Head. Like, those are these fun comedic games – these like broader supporting characters that you're not getting enough of. So I'm already happy we're back in the room. <laughs> the poker, you know, like all uh, this shit yeah. is like great. Yeah. I love Rex having the video, like all this stuff. And then the rip is like so startling to what's just been like a joyride for like yeah. six minutes. Yeah. I'll go a step darker with that, uh, as I like to do. Uh, it is always kind of an open question of what these toys are to Andy. Mm-hmm. Are they people? Are they toys? Are they pets? Right. When a pet breaks an arm or a paw or a yeah. leg, it, there's the potential that that's the end of the pet's life. Which is kind of how the mom treats it. Right. You just like, have to know. Like, toys don't last forever. Yeah, this like, could be the end. When your yeah. dog gets sick, your parent has to go, like, you know, they're going to die. Like, it might not be now, but it's yeah, they're yeah, going to die yeah. probably in the next 18 months. Yeah. yeah. it's. I mean, it's, it's, it's a really shocking moment. You got the tear. She puts him on the shelf. Yeah. And it really kind of – it's the first time where Woody feels – I don't, I don't want to say inferior, but feels like like the end. Could. Mortal, mortal. Yeah, yeah. yeah right. Yeah. Uh, then, then then Woody has his nightmare of being thrown away. So, another thing that was cut from the first one. Yes, which is yeah. a, a phenomenal sequence. So good. Yeah. Uh, there's something really dark, just horrifying about the the, the vortex and this abyss that he's going <sighs> so in. Well which yeah. is, and this is 
eight minutes into the movie, basically at this point. Like they're 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 setting their their stage for it's what they're going to do, which is which is clear great economic stuff. storytelling. It, yeah. I mean, that was the thing, and I said this to you um, before you got here, Griffin. But this is the the tightest script. It is, I, it fucking moves. That's There's my no kind of big argument thing. for this movie. When I try like, to remove my nostalgia, my emotional connection to it and all of it, I just go, I don't know if there's a tighter script yeah. accomplishing more, a larger cast of characters who really feel like, you know, I kind of by the time two had come out, I was like, okay, I get I'm studying movies a little more serious and I'm watching grown-up movies. I get you can't have potato head in the whole movie because you got to focus on a few <laughs> characters not everyone can have that much real estate and then this one i was like i was wrong apparently you can put slink in 90 straight minutes <laughs> apparently you can do it and apparently like rex jesse yeah. woody everyone. buzz prospector can all have emotional yeah. arcs yeah. which i mean that's you say that and it's something i didn't even register really but like to juggle all those characters yeah. as well as they do for as long as they do and the rex thing is like that's the first thing you cut yeah. It doesn't oh, pay yeah. off into the rest of the story. But, he's also, but then think, it pays off so well. <laughs> he's the coolest looking toy, oh, I yeah. think. The the detail of his yeah. of the dimples and, and the that his scales. Just like such a good bit. Like great. what if a dinosaur was a Jew? Like it's just it's so <laughs> like let's call it out. It's so It's true. Good. It's true. It's great. And this is another and then he area can't where the movie both buttons because yeah, his arms right. are too yeah. short. But the movie gets lucky because it comes out after Jurassic Park. And you they know? have that shot which they which right. is and a great like every kid's all in it. on dinosaurs. Yeah. And now they just go it's like just what's great. the funniest thing is if it's Wallachon? <laughs> and he's got an inferiority complex. It's fantastic. I would make another point about the dream and kind of a point about the trilogy all together with, with the, the dream being kind of a really good uh, illustration of this. Mm-hmm. Toy Story 1 to 3, 1 to the end, the, I'm far more on the 3 is my favorite and 3 works for me mm-hmm. the best. And part of it is because 3 is the one where they drop all the pretense and they're like, all right, these aren't toys, these are people. Sure. You know, like right. these are people, they're mortal, they have feelings, they're going to die, etc. Um, what the dream does in two is, you know, speaking to the rules of this, it breaks its rule, I think, or it really kind of fills in a space mm-hmm. that you never expected to be filled yeah. in. Yeah. These characters have dreams, which is like, right. back to Bicentennial, man. <laughs> wow. Well, but the whole point of that is like, by Robin Williams becomes a man. Yeah. He's not dreaming. Right. Like, that's not, he's not, he's not, these characters are more human yeah. than, than you even can imagine. Like, they're, they're exhibiting these psychological conditions that only a human can relate to. Well, and, and, and not to get off this, you know, uh, now that we're finally discussing the first eight minutes of the film, 90 <laughs> minutes into the podcast. Yeah. But that's the thing that simultaneously, like, kind of worries me and kind of excites me about the Forky thing. Where it's like, okay, so they're going to start tugging at those strings? Like, all the logical questions of, like, the inner rules of, like, where their life comes from yeah. and, like, where their sentience comes from and all that stuff. It's like these movies walk a very fine line in terms of explaining certain rules and leaving other ones open. Well, it's magic realism, so there you go. Right, right. They're sort of buying into the aesthetic reality, and then they'll explain to you certain things. This is what this tracks onto. This is what this equates to, all of this sort of stuff. But there's like the the basic sort of gimme that you give them in the first one is we're not going to explain why Buzz thinks that he's the character he's based off and the rest of them don't. Because the rest of them all have personalities that are different from their exterior appearances, the mold of what their archetype is. And the other thing is, like, on a basic level, why does Buzz freeze every time Andy walks in the room? Like, why does he still abide by basic (laughs) toy rules, right? And so these things, it's like you have to just give them that. 
Yeah, so I mean, you don't question it, though. You don't. You it's, don't. It's very dangerous. What you're talking about, it's It's, it's very, dangerous shit. That's why 4 is, is like walking this razor wire where it's like, if you're going to start to tug at this, the whole, whole ball of yarn come might come yeah. up. It's like, to, and people feel how they feel, but midichlorians was a... Fuck. Yeah. It was, it was like, like it was, it, it's this. It, 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 yeah. could, it could be that, and it could really fuck people up. Don't explain really, away the magic. Right. Like, you yeah. you, can, you can if you nail it. Right. Like sure, there, sure. Are, there, are, there are times where sure. it's been nailed. I can't think of one. But there are times <laughs> where it's been nailed, where yeah. there's been kind of this magical realism yeah. thing that we've accepted, and they're like, this is the true example. But if you miss it, it can fuck up the whole series, and that does scare me. Right. Yeah. I trust them, yeah, Right. I, I want to. But, but this is the Pixar thing. The thoroughness and the asking all the questions is yeah. just like, even the things they can't explain you get the sense that they've thought through it and decided, okay, just accept this as a rule. There's nothing that's like an oversight. Yeah. You know? It's, it's, these are the things we're going to explain. These are the things you just have to take as a given in this world. I mean, it's, again, not to whatever, but like it is a kid's movie. So yeah, there's a little right. – you do get a sure. little – you get a lot of rope yeah. to be able to kind of – and, and they, I think they use it brilliantly in these three films. We'll see how they do it yeah. in the fourth one. But uh, So basically at this point, Woody is, is uh, mistaken for a toy at a garage, at a garage sale. Through, through trying through, to rescue, trying to rescue Weezy. Weezy. Which, I, I mean, this I, is I another... I like the way you said that. He's mistaken for a toy. <laughs> well, for a, for a vintage, no, know. you know right. what I mean? Right, yeah. but this is another thing I love about this movie, just on a pure enjoyment level, is it, it keeps on being structured like an Indiana Jones movie, where they're just barely avoiding the worst thing, and then there's a bad turn, and then they barely get out of that, and then there's a bad turn. Yeah. Like, it, it constantly keeps repeating this thing of just, like, obstacle by obstacle by obstacle. And uh, it, I, I, right. I keep thinking about the development process and how you have to imagine that this movie is sort of like screenwriting 101 mm-hmm. yeah. um, because of, I imagine, the time constraint. But yeah. they just fucking nail it. Like yeah. they just do it at a higher level. Yeah. The, you know, we're talking about the beats and the structure and the way that it actually is. But again, this is sort of – they fell back, if you will, yeah. on tropes yeah. that they just do unbelievably well. And they did it in less time than we've – already been talking about the movie <laughs> yes, sure, we're only sure. halfway done sure, we're yeah. halfway. We, they the reason to me that that it's that that's so successful is because they are so honed in on their theme yeah and it's a theme that has not been explored by pop culture very often if kind of ever yeah. yeah so that's why i think like it's if you go if you're kind of the first mover on something like this you can just go with your kind of basic 90 minute structure yeah um, done perfectly well, executed, yeah. executed, executed flawlessly. Don't yeah. get me wrong, but it's the thematic resonance for me that's like making me almost cry right now. Well, I also, yeah. I, I mean, this is why I rank two ahead of three. Is that I think two is just like I, watching it, going like, man, they're adding so much new stuff to this. Like everything they're bringing to the table is a wholly new un- idea that was untapped in the first one. Whether it be a toy world idea of like, okay, so what's a collectible? Like, how does this translate to, you know, a psychology? Or it's the sort of emotional resonance of the characters we've already established in different sides of their personality, different fears, all the themes, that sort of stuff. Three does a little more retreading. And that's baked into the cake because the idea is three is them hitting the thing they were always worried about happening one day. Mm -hmm. Which I can't hold against the movie. That's the promise they made. They wrote themselves a contract that if they make a three, it's got to get to that point, right? It's going to be the college movie. It's going to be them facing their fears. But the fact that two just starts asking these questions, Mm -hmm. like, hits me so hard because you're just like, fuck, they're just going deeper and deeper and deeper and hitting new oil wells. Yeah, I mean, they're just, they're not, 
there's also a, a courage and a fearlessness yeah. to this as well that I think is just, I mean, taps into what you're talking about. But so basically, uh, Wayne Knight, Al, yeah, steals Woody. Uh, Buzz Lightyear gives chase, and it's such a good <laughs> specific. Like you talk about just between character design, casting, and the actual performance of the character animation, yeah. right? You see this guy and you go, I know exactly who he is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And there's even the like, you know, first draft idea is just he's a fat sweaty nerd who collects toys, right? But they were like, no, he's very specifically this type of retro guy. But the second that you was hear big him, in the nineties, the like the faux like throwback sort of vintage car, mm-hmm. vintage clothing. Yeah. yeah, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, because his car, there was something about how like his car is like one of the cars in cars. Yes, I don't know. Yeah, that, I think flow. Sure, maybe yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Yes, flow. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, you know your cars. I know my cars. Um, I wish I didn't. Sadly, yeah. Well, I mean, there's you know there's there's something about this period in kind of film criticism too. In the late 90s, I was reading Ain't It Cool News yeah. every day, yeah. right? Yeah. And I think Harry Knowles really was affected by this movie. And yeah. I think it was because he really saw himself in that. And Harry Knowles yeah. was, you know, he was wearing the kind of the, the throwback Hawaiianish shirts yeah. and he was obsessed with toys and he was obsessed with right. you know, the, the kind of franchisee movies. And I think Phil and I talked about this a little bit before the podcast, but th- – Seeing a, a lot of these internet, these kind of early internet movie reviewers, yeah. clearly saw themselves in Al, yeah, and kind of had to yes. deal with the fact that maybe I, I actually I don't even know I don't even know the kind of the, the way to psychologically break this down. Um, but I, yeah. I also think there's I, I mean I feel like that the children of the late fifties in the early nineties bringing back this sort of retro throwback fifties thing, you know. Like now, now you have throwback diners. Now some of the like fashion trends are being reappropriated, yeah. even like through like swingers, you know, yeah. the greaser thing. But like that yeah. late '50s, early '60s thing was the first time I would argue that there was like a nostalgia culture that was mainstream. Mm-hmm. And then you have like, oh, people are collecting the vintage stuff they grew up on, you know, or they like the look of the old TV set. And then it starts this thing of like. Everyone who's in, like, their early 30s and now has some level of security, you know, starts buying or reliving or relitigating all the stuff they grew up with, which we're now starting to experience with, like, you know, the late 90s and early 2000s. Yeah, no, that nostalgia is definitely bad. Right, so he's the first wave of the sort of nostalgia-driven <laughs> yeah. guy. That's interesting. Because before that, it's like, you know, you, you were too concerned about dying, you know, <laughs> to spend time thinking about, like, I want to go back stuff to that I stuff have. I loved when I was young, yeah, yeah. when things felt better. So Buzz tries to get him out, and Buzz gets a look at the license plate. Yeah. And then he uses uh, the speak and spell yeah. to try to piece together what this – and my favorite was uh, Liz Tribran. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's another one of those things where it's like they're having their cake and they're eating it too. Like the emotional stakes of the thing of Buzz really yeah. trying to make this work, figure it I out, know. track. Yeah. But it also is like they're parodying like the detective standing in front of the cork board yep. trying to work out like what's the connection between all the victims. It's, it's brilliant. The, yeah. It's, it's brilliant. I mean they're the using all these – but so so then we get to Al's apartment, and this is sort of when the movie really begins because Woody is exposed to our new cast of characters yeah. in terms of Jesse, the prospector, Bullseye. Yeah. Uh, and we got to we realize that he's being sold to a toy museum, and, mm. and the stakes of the film are really kind of crystallized a little bit. Yeah. And, and Woody is what I also kind of love is that you know Toy Story One is obviously an essentially an origin story for Buzz. Yeah. And this is really kind of the origin story for for Woody. Yeah. We start to realize where he came from, what his story is, um, which is great. Uh, apparently, Bullseye was going to have a voice at one point. Adam Sandler, Martin Short. 
Interesting. <laughs> I, I had seen, I think it's on one of the DVDs or something, yeah. but there's one of those clips where they were testing out voices. I don't know if they ever offered to him, but it I was Bullseye doing the uh, one of the uh, Happy Gilmore uh, talking to himself I'm, while he's trying. It's to so much better all. without it. I mean, yeah, yeah. It's so it's much perfect. better without it. Not, not my. Him just perfect. being a dog. It's just that's not my two guys. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so like I'm <laughs> thrilled that like I didn't have to have either of those guys infiltrate my Toy Story world. But, but it's also better that that Bullseye is like a pure, responsive, reactive totally. creature. Pluto. He, yes. He's right. He's yeah. an instinct creature. He's also. Um, Something you feel like you can touch, like that. The animation of Bullseye is fantastic. And like you're just like the plushness of him. Right. You just really. It, that's that's a thing that Toy Story, uh, you know, really gets is like they're really invested in the difference between materials, which yes. matters in a movie that's about manufactured products as characters. Sure, sure. And it came out of them, like you know, Tin Toy, and then when they wanted to make a feature, going like. Well, that's the thing that's like easiest to do in CGI because it's like shiny, like sort of plasticky yeah. surfaces. But even the first one, when you know it must have been so tough, you get the difference of like the cloth versus the plastic yeah. versus what quality of plastic when it looks kind of cheap, when it looks kind of solid. And then this one, when you get the fucking bullseye pushing the dimmer and the yeah. whole menagerie it's of the gorgeous. waste roundup, there, I, I interned at the Onion when I dropped out of college. And one of my many petty jobs was, like, literally just, like, going through boxes in people's office and finding all these things. And I found this article that was from 1999 that was just, like, an op-ed or something from, like, one of the New York Times, like, opinion columnists uh-huh. at the time. And it was just about how he felt that uh, The Onion and Toy Story 2 represented an advancement <laughs> in American culture of being really obsessed with the sort of the details and the feel of thing. That you can hit greater uh, truths if you understand how to walk like something and talk like something. And how The Onion was so practiced in that fake sort of newspaper speak, applying it to absurd things or banal things or whatever it was. And the example, the thing he connected to was that reveal of the merchandise in Toy Story 2. And that it elevates the whole movie when you look at it and you get every single piece of merchandise on that thing. You get the impetus for it yeah. without them having to showcase it. You get the function of things. Yeah. You get how qua- how high quality or low quality it was, what condition it's in, you know? And it's just like these guys yeah. really – they use this term at Pixar where it's like uh, uh, we, we paint the undersides of the drawers. Even if you're not going to look underneath oh, the drawer that's great. in the dresser, yeah. it matters to us that it's painted. So that we we know that we did that thoroughly. There's know? also something to the fact that th- there's a classicism to the archetypes of toys that mm-hmm. they're using in this. Yeah, you know, if this had been done by let's just say DreamWorks or or something of that ilk, right. I think it would have been more of a who who framed Roger Rabbit, Ready Player One situation where you would have been sort of a cavalcade of brands of toys. Right, where you get potato heads ripping this is on specific. that. Yeah, right. potato heads, and obviously you get Barbie and stuff like that. Right. But like they created their own. Yes. underneath the umbrella of like you get this type of toy. As opposed Which to huge. trying to brand out a whole bunch of other fucking toys. And it's also one of the things that I think just makes this movie, all three of these movies, so visually compelling is yeah. it's such a weird-looking group of characters yeah. together. Yeah. Because they're such radically different sizes row. and densities, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? And it's also like, yeah. you know, when you remove it, you go, this is a movie that stars, like, a, an astronaut, a cowboy... <laughs> A dinosaur. <laughs> a potato head. You know, a like, dog. right, but yeah. it's just like, even if you just don't engage with them as toys and you engage with them as the thing that they're toys of, it's compelling to see all those types of characters talk to each other. It's amazing. Yeah. 
so speaking about the merchandising, there's a great scene in it where Woody sees all the merchandise yeah. we were talking about, and he tries all of it. And yeah. that apparently was they just recorded Tom Hanks actually looking at the merch for the first time. So all of that stuff is just him going like the bubbles. Oh, the bubble! Uh, like, oh, oh, and, and the oh. bubble! Like, that's just Tom ha- Hanks yeah. just doing Tom Hanks. It's just his responses to the Woody merchandise there's they put in front of the- in my boots. <laughs> it's just great, it's so it's, and, and that is it so feels good. so real. It's so naturalistic. Yeah, it's it, you know, it almost can't. It's one of those things that can't be written, and you just yeah. can't imagine them yeah. figuring that out for. A, an animated movie like this it's, no. it's fantastic no and it's like awe-inspiring and then it it builds to that sort of just like pure ecstatic joy moment of all of them dancing on the record player yeah, and then the immediate rug pull of like the museum in japan and like i don't want to go there right i got to go back to andy andy's waiting for me right it's you know and then you get you get jesse's panic you get the prospector starting to realize that he's gonna have to convince this guy uh and then that, that's what's crazy though you go like so within like three minutes of woody waking up in al's apartment Right? You introduce all the characters. You introduce the cultural context for Woody as what kind of item he is, his relationship to media, right? (laughs) His value. Then you have this moment that's just pure joy. And then, I mean, maybe it's five minutes, but then with in all of this, the emotional stakes of how already they're emotionally reliant on each other. You know, that it's a betrayal that Woody doesn't want to go to the museum and that Woody's already, that Jesse has already invested her future in the idea of Woody. Because she immediately is like, we're we're good to go. She is all in. And then to have that taken from her again really sets her off. And I think this is where like, I now am able to psychoanalyze it more, but where Jesse hits so hard for me is that like, I am a like super depressive, anxious person. Mm -hmm. It's like terrified and overwhelmed by everything and it mostly manifests as me being a goofball (laughs) (laughs) but it's i mean just the prospector saying i promise you'll come out of the box right is just like my god right and 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 she's actually having a like well animated panic Panic attack attack. yeah Yeah. no i i feel it like i mean i'm 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 like the shortness of breath thing which you just go like she doesn't have lungs there's no reason (laughs) you know is this a learned trait is she just mimicking something it's it's really powerful but it's visceral so he loses his arm and then we get a really wonderful the the cheeto minefield (sighs) is is just really this is to me there's a couple moments in this film where you sort of see pixar learning sort of a visual filmmaking in a way that maybe yeah. they hadn't done before. The scope is the thing. Mm-hmm. I, you know, they've, they've, everything got bigger. Bigs and, Bugs Life changed everything to a certain extent, but, like, the scope is bigger in this film. And it's another, like, when they pan out and you see the full yeah. range of the Cheetos yeah. in the audience, goes, oh, oh shit. Like, <laughs> this is bad. <laughs> yeah. And then if you engage with it, you're like, he's, like, 10 inches tall, and there are <laughs> Cheetos on the floor. Like, but but they set up the relative stakes yeah. so it feels as insane as like poison darts in it the does. cave in Indiana yeah. Jones. Mm-hmm. And it's, this movie just keeps on doing these sort of mousetrap setups but, of like here's the risk, here's all the ways it could go wrong, and here's how they're going to keep narrowly avoiding. And then you've got the pylon sequence, which is another dr- perfect visual thing of yeah. the toys trying to get to Al's toy barn across the street. So they they hide under the pylons. Yeah. And then you just have all the car crashes oh, that they create with the pylon. Like, it's right. just, it's, you don't even dialogue. Like, that's yeah. what I love about this shit, is and they can tell so much yes. story visually. It's one of those things where that was in the direct-to-video version, on the DVDs and the Blu-rays and what have you. You can see that as a deleted scene, which animation rarely has deleted scenes. Yeah, yeah. Because, as we said, we worked yeah. the these things out before you start actually animating. And there's just a shittier version of that crossing the street scene. That was always in there, but it's the most basic version of it without sort of any cinematic sophistication and intelligence of the stakes building and all of that. And, I mean, even just you keep on revealing things about the characters. 
You know, you, you have the Cheetah reveal. It feels like it's just, okay, this, this is an obstacle course. How does Woody get through this? But then Bullseye, oh, is he going to fuck this up? And the fact mm-hmm. that Woody doesn't turn to Bullseye with anger, that he's frustrated in the yeah. stakes, but he immediately realizes, like, this isn't innocent, and he <laughs> looks up to me, and I need to, like, protect him and help him, oh, you know, it's just, not mess this up for me. It's just, it's fantastic. It's so good. Uh, there's obviously an attention to detail in the Pixar films that just gets better and better and better. Yeah. But um, the attention to detail in the cleaning sequence, when he's yeah. fixing uh, Woody and making him look perfect and yeah. brand new. Uh, I never saw Jerry's Game, I don't think, the short that yeah. this character is... It was is... before A Bug's Life. Oh, was it? I don't yeah. think I saw A Bug's Life in the theater. I might have. Yeah. But that, but won that an character Oscar, won right. an Oscar, and then that character is the guy that cleans him. And it was literally one of those things where, like, the movie was so behind schedule and so over budget that they were like, we don't, we can't create a new character. Like, oh, they came right. up with this story oh, idea. So funny. And they were like, can we pull, like, what do we have in the files? Oh, wow. So they literally just, like, transferred the data over. See, that's and would, like, awesome. That would work, yeah. right? Like, just yeah. happy mistakes that yeah. are just, you just, I, I, this stuff is also great, too. Just, like, the nicks in his little thing that he opens up and the way that that little, uh, like the motor. History. And it's, it's another thing beautiful. where you walk in, you're just like, I know exactly who this guy is. Yeah. I know exactly who he is. It's Roddy McDowell, <laughs> insanely <laughs> overqualified for this type of role. But they're yeah. like, it matters. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It does. Yeah. And I think it also can kind of serve as a counterweight to the whole Al thing. Yeah, you know that I think Owl is kind of taken on its own, meant to make people feel bad about kind of holding on to their childhood. Sure. Yes, and I think the cleaner, in another way, is kind of made to feel, to make people feel like it's okay to care about these things, objects, inanimate objects, in this way. Like they were important to your childhood. Childhood is important as long as you. Res- respect it or treat it with respect and also the craft of this thing like whether or not it's a piece of high art you know or consumer merchandise there were deliberate thoughts put into the design and the manufacturing of this thing which the cleaner seems to appreciate al is crass i mean he's commercial you know the second he completes his collection it's to flip it yeah so even if he loves Woody's Roundup and it started coming from that place, you know, and he, like, owned a toy store because he loves toys, he doesn't seem to get any joy from any of these things anymore. He's the guy That's who greenlit Cars 3, basically. He's the guy who greenlit Cars 3. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's what John Lasseter becomes. Yeah. Yeah. Well. yeah. So all our toys, our gang gets to Al's Toy Barn, uh, and all this stuff is great. I mean, it's kind yeah. of shooting fish in a barrel. I mean, they put toys in a toy store, so like it's it's going to work but probably. This is one of those movies but where it, it's like a kind of equally balanced A and B plot. I mean, you yeah. essentially have two A plots. Mm-hmm. It's fully half and half, and yeah. you're never disappointed when they cut from one to the other. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I it's think like that with the bu- Buzz, you're, great. you're getting your like action movie stakes, yeah. you know, and because, the swap identity swap, which is great, right? Which is Cause, brilliant because the Woody stuff is confined to one room, and that's all your like emotional weight. It's just, I mean, there's also there's so many jokes in the in the personality swap or in the in the mistaken identities of, yeah. of old Buzz and new Buzz, and the new Buzz, us being able to re enjoy, yeah. Buzz from from the first one. That's what they said. It's, we, it's, we it's great. Found such a fun comedic game with him being this Boy Scout character. Yeah, it's just great. We had him grow. Yeah. You don't want RoboCop two where the movie starts and all the progress he's made right. towards his humanity is gone. That's depressing. Well, nobody wants RoboCop right. two. <laughs> right. Well, be- yeah. You know, I agree with you. I agree. No, with you. Yes, but that happens all the time. Like that's Homeland season two, right? right. Like yeah. it, the memory wipe moves. You, you gotta yeah. let oh, the characters it's, it's grow. It's, it's suppressing bad. and immediately shoot yourself in the foot if you yeah. try to give the audience what you think they want. But they find a way to once again have their cake and eat it too. They find a way to make them funny again. And Buzz's characterization is so specific in terms of him still through training being this like 
high intensity sort of action star, yeah. but he's grounded in reality. He's also like he when he's in the packaging screaming, "You have the wrong Buzz! You've yeah. got the wrong Buzz!" Right? Like when Buzz gets to like crazy Woody levels, yeah. it's also really fun. And it's also yes, it's also great when you see him with like utility belt Buzz. Yes, and you realize how far the character actually has, has come. come. I agree. How much they've let him grow because now the contrast is like, oh, I didn't realize we were all the way back there. <laughs> yeah. In the first one, the belt thing is so the good. Belt thing. And, and when and uh, when um, uh, Pig asks him about the ham, utility, ham my and apologies, Sl- and he says slotted pig is standard yeah. issue. It's fantastic. Yeah, all those names are, are it's fantastic. So good. Yeah, uh, it's such a. Great and I line. like that they just sort of go like I don't know. I guess Buzz is like back in a weird pocket. Like they, they, <laughs> they acknowledge that something's different. Something's amiss, but they're right. also like I don't know. He's weird. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so so now you basically have uh, the prospector trying to convince Andy. Uh, sorry, uh, Woody, yeah. that he's got to come. And we had the conversation earlier. You know, you think Andy's going to take you on his honeymoon? It's a real fucking dig. But I mean, it's it's good stuff. Uh, yeah, where's Andy now? Like he yeah. like, and that thing he says where you know, like Andy, the one who like put you at a yard sale, yeah. and Woody's like, it's not like that. Yeah. And he's like, mm, it's well, kind of like mean, that, kinda. Yeah, yeah no, yeah. it's not like that. Yeah, that's <laughs> not no. No, Whereas Andy, Andy, Andy's at cowboy camp. This, uh, this guy is still very much into <laughs> Prospector Woody. is using like what about ism? Yeah. It's like, yes, is yes, it yeah. or is it not true yes. that Andy put you on a shelf? Yes. And he's like, I can't argue with that. And he's like, yeah. and is it or is it not true that you then ended up at a yard sale? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Doesn't sound like Andy yeah. loves you. Yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, so Woody decides to stay. Sorry. Yeah. And he's like, he believes that you know they're going to get discarded, but he, he 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 successfully gets in his head. Well, and and also you have. You have the Jesse song sequence. I mean, this yes. is where this oh, kicks yes. in, oh. where he goes, look, uh, I understand. Prospector, who at this point you still think is a nice guy, yeah. you realize later is playing mind games with Woody. Yeah. It goes, and using I Jesse get to do that. But I don't know if Jesse will get it. You have to explain it to her. And from the moment you just caught to her, like, in oh. fetal position, looking out oh. the window, you go, like, what is this? <laughs> She's yeah. so broken. Right. Like, where oh, this movie girl. is just having, like, a character, like, quietly sit in their pain. Yeah. yeah. Just and very introspective. Much, yeah. much like they would do later in Toy Story, Toy Story 3. Not much like it. It's actually what, – what's kind of remarkable about this moment in Toy Story 2 to me yeah. is it doesn't feel like Woody is making the wrong choice. He's Correct. just making another choice. It's a, a tough decision. It's a tough – de- It's yeah. not a binary didactic good versus bad. He wants to help everybody. Yes. You know? And, and I think he's made the calculation that – Jesse specifically, yeah. but Bullseye 2 and Prospector 2, really need me a lot right. more than Buzz and the crew. Actually, they have a new me. Well, it's like his work family versus like his his family family. Yeah. And it's like it's not like he just wants to be loved in a museum like Prospector. He also wants to help them out. That is valid. Like he's still yeah. investing yeah. in relationships. Yeah. For he's sure. He's still trying to help people. I mean he has this complex of needing to lead and needing to guide and mm-hmm. needing to organize and all of that. But but he comes to that, and I think like here's a two versus three thing. You have the uh, the explanation of Lotso's backstory, which is very similar to the Jesse thing, mm-hmm. except rather than being broken by it, you become evil, right? But in that one, you have like Chuckles narrating it and like right. really explaining it and putting right. such a fine point on it. Whereas like the restraint of this. And just the sort of like when she lands under the bed, it it hits so much Oof. harder than saying, and then Emily moved on. It's a bit of an yeah. indictment of teenage girls. I don't know. I mean, like, 
I, I, just a little bit. I understand. So I understand many little that. Character details. And once again, I'm, I'm I still so, think three is yeah. one of the hundred best films ever made. <laughs> I, I'm yeah. so into the conceit of the prison break thing, the conceit of this guy's scene oh, things. That stuff rules. Yeah, but I, I think, just I think the last of, thing is like yes. to that too. Like yeah. it's that it's it's this guy has seen things. Yeah. Like that I I'm bought in the way they tell that story. I love his backstory. And, yeah. I'm literally just speaking to the confidence with which they tell you that backstory. Yeah. And I'll in three, they feel, it feels they are a little more pressured to explain it. Mm-hmm. And in two, they trust, like Randy Newman tells the story where they were like, he was like, so what's on deck? What do you want me to do for this one? And they like explained to him. He was like, you can't do that <laughs> in a kid's movie. Yeah. yeah no yeah. one's going to, you're going to break the thing. Yeah. And that, like, when he sat there in the audience and it played, he was like, Jesus Christ, these lunatics, they knew what they were talking about. Yeah, like, really the kids and to. the parents are both 100% getting it and emotionally engaged with this thing. And so many little details of, like, you know, the world from Jesse's perspective underneath the bed, seeing time pass, unable to touch it, mm-hmm. and just, like, the phone, the base of the yeah. phone being dragged yeah. on the floor. Like, only seeing her feet and the objects, you get the evolution of Emily Absolutely. and the stages she's going through in her adolescence. Which, again, comes back to the fact that, like, there's an argument to be made that all these Toy Story films could be entirely silent. Yeah. Like, I think yeah. you could tell these and, – and it's a testament to how incredible Pixar is at that. I mean right. – First hour of Wally proves that. Yeah. I mean, you just it, tin it's, toy is entirely yeah. silent and gets at a lot of the psychological complex of being a toy. There's the amazing moment where he hides under the the couch and he sees all the other toys who have been hiding from the baby for like years. Sure, and just without any dialogue, you're like, oh, oh shit. okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So uh, at this point, basically, our team has pieced together Al's plan. They've gone b- back to his apartment. They're looking to to bust Woody out, essentially, and bring him home. Right, and it's you, this beautiful, like, confluence thing where it's like, Woody makes his decision just as they break through the grate. Yeah. And you've had the the buzz break and completely mirror the opening Zerg video game. Yeah. It's just, it's it's really, really, really smart. Yeah. Uh, so basically, at this point... Uh... Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Buzz, there's two buzzes. Yeah. And to prove his identity, he lifts up his foot to show that he's got Andy's name so on it, good. which is just like, it's just, it's just. Right fantastic. after what he does, yeah. you get your curtain, not your curtain call, your reprise of the, mm-hmm. the helmet gag. Yep. Yep. 
which is uh, also fantastic. Yeah. Right, and then he just sort of nonchalantly kicks <laughs> just the just lifts foot his foot up. up. <laughs> it's, just, it's just fantastic. But I also like at this point, you still care for the second boss. I mean, when you, you get to the emotional stakes of his Zerg battle, <laughs> it's like you're like, you get yeah. what this means to him. You understand it has no relative danger within their world. Yeah. But it means everything to him. And you give Rex a win. And you give Rex a win. And you give Rex a yeah. win. Yeah, he gets to he gets to beat the video game in real life. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's incredible. Uh, it's also a nice just it's a, it's a nice counterweight to the whole franchise filmmaking today. Yeah, where everything is about the end of the world. Yes, this is literally the, it couldn't be further from that. This is about a toy winning something that's only important to him. Yeah. and you care. I care way more about this than I do about Infinity yeah. War. Well, you know, I like prequels <laughs> sure. often don't work, and Infinity War is a great example. I was about to <laughs> tee it up as well. Prequels often don't work, but I feel like people misunderstand why prequels don't work, and I hear always the complaint where it's like, "Well, like, what are the stakes? We know the characters aren't going to die." As if the only thing that could have stakes in a movie is it's life death. and death. Yeah. And, like, that that's not the case. I think few prequels are smart enough about understanding how to get stakes when you know what the character's sort of status quo is before coming in. Because yeah. it's so much about character growth. Yeah. You know that there's tension in where they're going to end up internally. Yeah. Where they stand with each other. And, like, this movie is just, like... Whether it's them crossing the street where they literally could be crushed by a truck or, like, a phony fight between Zerg and Buzz in an elevator shaft where it's, like, ping pong balls. That's the best. You, you get the relative a stakes of what it means to them. Balls. Yeah. And, like, that's the end of the day. I think, like, Infinity War, I don't care that all of them die because yeah. I immediately know that none of it matters. Mm-hmm. You know? Yep. And, and, like, people go, like, well, that's the point. It's a comic movie. Of course they're going to save the day. Of course they're going to bring people back to life. But I go, like... If Infinity War was two and a half hours long and they were killing off a different character every ten minutes, I would care more yeah. losing characters one by one, even knowing the next movie would reverse most of them, than I do where, like, at the end a guy snaps his fingers yeah. and then a bunch of people disintegrate. And it's like – it's to paraphrase the Incredibles thing where it's like if everyone's super, that's another way of saying that nobody is. Mm-hmm. Like if there's so much in terms of the stakes, of like you understand the world is ending, everyone's going to die. It just becomes white noise to me. It's well, like all guitar it. solo. Yeah, yeah you become numb. It's just really and, – and, and there's also just sort of sometimes, I guess to your point, when the stakes become so large – yeah. You just can't even process it, Correct. essentially. Right, right. Like, these stakes might feel small, but they're intimate. And because yeah. of that, it, it has some, so much more of an emotional impact on you. There's some stat that I'm going to fuck up now, but where, like, human beings have a hard time processing a tragedy over a certain size. Mm. You know, like, oh, when people say, like, I still can't even, like, reckon with, like, 9-11. Mm-hmm. It's so hard to even comprehend. But it's so much easier to engage in, like, the human tragedy of, like, Three people getting murdered in a weird way. It's palpable. It feels right. more palatable. Right. Yeah. And, and that's where like like shootings, like when mass shootings come up, not a thing I thought I was going to invoke in a Toy Story 2 episode. <laughs> yeah. But there's like something where it's a smaller number and the news is covering the specific people in their backstory. When it becomes so large, it's just like I can't even process how sad this is, how tragic it is. Yeah. It doesn't mean that it becomes white noise. Yeah. But it's hard to really engage with like the individual people you've lost. Yeah. And this movie – feels like it should be pushing the limits in terms of how much they're putting on the plate. Yeah. How many different subplots, how many characters you have in there. There's separate wants and needs. Yeah. But it's so clear at every point what they want, and they're so smart about just having those things sort of harmonize with together. each other, yeah. dovetail together. Yeah, they do yeah. it really, really beautifully. I mean, 
basically at this point we're we're essentially at the at the place where you know we're at the airport yeah. and you know they're on their way to Japan. That plane was really really close to taking off. By the way, I mean it yeah. was within inches. But basically, you know, uh, every you know, Buzz on. Bullseye essentially comes yeah. and saves the day. I mean, this is like, you ask and me, this is the most exciting filmmaking. <laughs> I, there's nothing that gets me more best. amped up than this. It's you know? the best. It's and it's just, best. it's it's clever too. him using his pull string to, to, to clamp onto the bottom of, it's just all just great. And him saying, but the, 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 the cliffhanger thing, which I love where she's like, but the show is canceled. And he's like, let's see how it ends together. It's just, it's just great. Like I'm and, getting and, emotional just thinking right, about it. And it's, it's this thing of like, you know, your narrative culturally, yeah. what you've been told yep. is your story yeah. and your lane and what yeah. he decided to take control of his own narrative. Yeah. You his know? Story. Yeah, he's trying to reconcile everything. He, he's trying to have it all. He yeah. understands it's hard work and there's sacrifices to be made, but he wants to he's willing keep to do it. both families yeah. intact. Yeah. You know, And he's willing to take the risk to try for that. And I mean, there's so many so good things. I mean, the elevator, Ugh. not the elevator, the, yeah. the uh, luggage conveyor belt thing. Classic. I, I have always thought it's such a missed opportunity that they never did uh, an airport ride at one of the Disney theme parks for Toy yeah. Story yeah. 2. Because there's that moment even where they're yeah. going through the flats yeah. and then you see and they have the sort of Splash Mountain drop down. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. but yeah, I mean, you just set up all these things. Like the stakes are so clear. Find the case, yeah. you know, yeah. but also Stinky Pete is on yeah. the loose. Yeah. And the spatial geography is always clear, even when they pointedly set up like an MC Escher, yeah, like What's a like, maze of layers. We talked layers. about the doors yeah. in uh, in Monsters yeah. Inc. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, and and even in Coco, when he yeah. goes to the land and it punches out, like the, the, the intricate detail. Get, they they're so good at setting up an internal system. They are and letting you know the rules kind of mm-hmm. wordlessly, you know, or with minimal wording, mm-hmm. so that you're just like running with it. It's, yeah, this plane stuff. I mean, it, it now feels really big, and it's not about life or death, but like they get to something that feels like it's at the end of a Fast and Furious yeah, movie, where they're like yeah. trying to jump out of a plane <laughs> onto a moving horse. Yeah, yeah. Like it's insane. And I, I you know, my father. Uh, there's the moment when they're trying to break in to Al's apartment mm-hmm. after all the Al's toy barn stuff, which is just another like great – like that's a thing we didn't get to in the first movie. What's it like at a toy store? Here are the Barbies. They have their resort. They're their own worlds, all of that sort of stuff. But when they finally get into the apartment and the doors are about to close and Mr. Potato throws his hat and it lodges the door open just that much. Yeah. And the whole audience laughed and I turned to my father and said, why are they la- – what's the joke there? And his response was, it's just so perfect. <laughs> no, what he meant was the joke is, yeah. oh, look how well yeah, it, they in. just barely yeah. made yeah. it. But I also just feel that way of like this ending of, you know, the emotional stakes are so clear. Here's Woody on the runway, you know, mm-hmm. with Jesse in the plane. Here's Buzz on Bullseye. Uh, he's the one actually on the runway. Yes. Catching the hat. Yeah. You know, you know where they all are all to in relation to each other. And then just the way it just – they earn it turning out that perfectly mm-hmm. that he lassos it latches perfectly um, onto the lug nut yeah, yeah. perfect swing the four of them land yeah. perfectly yeah. on the thing and it's just like just what a fucking triumph <laughs> <laughs> you know like yes like yeah. give them their win yeah it's fantastic and then they're scared when a plane flies over and they're like let's go home yeah, yeah. well and i even like in another movie i'd be like okay a little too much on the let's go home <laughs> Like, like Hanks really winds up that line, but he it's does. like, you know what? You've earned it. You can do whatever the fuck you want, Toy Story 2. Because it's also that yeah. moment. It's so exciting to see Buzz with Bullseye and Jesse. 
because the movie's been setting up that he might have to pick one or the other. It, it also leads to one of my favorite moments in this film, which is the reveal of the luggage vehicles outside. Because then you're imagining oh, those toys yeah. driving that all the way back to Andy's. It's, it's just so, fantastic. So funny. Yeah. It's just it's just great. And and just like smart Pixar, like just cut to the home. Yeah. And for a moment, you go like, "That's weird. Why aren't they explaining how they got home?" Mm-hmm. I remember seeing this for the third time or whatever with my mom, and I went, "Don't worry, Pixar's got it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry." Like she thought she had like outsmarted the movie, and That's I was like, amazing. "Mom, hold your horse." <laughs> it's true. It's, yeah. it's true. Over yeah. twenty twenty films, right? Over twenty yeah, films. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen, I think, like eighteen of them. Uh-huh. They never disappoint me in that in that respect. Yeah. I mean, you can't be smarter than these movies. They're going to give you an answer and they're going to execute it in a way that is either the best emotional yeah. payoff or the best comedic payoff. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's just, such it's a good joke stuff. of just the body language of the two adults across the street with the coffee cups <laughs> trying to figure out what the fuck <laughs> happened. Yeah. It's so It's just great. Good. It's great. And then you just get to like like here's the curtain call. Like yeah. here's the entire cast like all together and a musical sequence. And Robert Goulet playing Louise. <laughs> <laughs> it's just great. It's the best. They care it's so great. much. Yeah, they care I, so I, much I, about giving I, I everybody mean, the best experience you can have. That's the thing. Yeah. I have goosebumps now, but it's like that is a moment where I just remember sitting there and being like, "These son of a bitches, they did it." Toy Story tip. <laughs> like they brought it home without they, missing a beat, and they now they're like did. playing me out with a song, you know? And then bloopers, right? And literally just like, oh god. I mean, even before the bloopers, I yeah. I just I I went. Full meal, couldn't eat another bite. <laughs> You've given me everything I've ever wanted and more. And then they slide over a limoncello, you know? They're going to give you a digestive. But I just think, like, I'm so, I mean, you have the nice, like, yeah. oh, oh, Buzz and Jesse, that's yeah. fun. Nice. It's so cool that they yeah. give her the badass moment yeah. of her doing the. And um, him just being like, with the, get, with getting the, the wing boner. <laughs> yeah. But it's also, you know, it's so key. And, and it's, it's, a, it's a little thing they don't put too much attention onto, but she's driven by the same thing as Buzz. Jesse's character as a character on the TV show was she looks out for the critters. And yes, so what yes, gets yes, yes. her to do the whole Hot Wheels run yeah. is that Buster needs to go outside to use the bathroom. And goes, a critter's in danger! <laughs> and Joan Cusack, I saw her do some interview where it's just like, you know, I went in, I was like, it's a cowgirl, I guess I should do a southern thing or a western thing. And they were like, no, we want the Joan Cusack voice. And the movie's just like, except that it's just a Chicago cowgirl. <laughs> yeah. She's just, so great. She's so, so, so great. She's I mean, I think she's one of the most undervalued actors alive. Absolutely. I think we never give her enough credit. I totally it's especially agree. weird that she's someone who's been nominated for two Academy Awards yeah, yeah. and still people don't take her seriously. It's bizarre. What was the other one? It was In and Out, which is. And Working Girl. And Working, working girl. girl. So Working Girl feels. To, I, would, I knew there was one that kind yeah. of felt right in yeah. its own way. In and Out, which everyone knew was coming, that award nomination. So good in that. Yeah. Oh, she's, she's fantastic amazing. in that yeah. Those are my favorite nominations. The Marissa like, Tomei's yeah. and, and Joan Cusack in In and Out. So those ones that that's actually Jack Palance a, in. Those, those ones where you're like this is really good work that you feel like they're gonna ignore they're not gonna take yeah. it seriously because the genre it's in or the size of the role the actor not being experienced yeah. like when when Tilda Swinton won the Oscar for Michael Clayton I was like that's cool because it's yeah. not a super showy performance yeah that's true and, and she's it great is in so strong yeah. in a movie that feels like it could be in worse hands just kind of like a shitty 
Oh, yeah. You know, sort John of Grisham. Grissom knockoff. Well, this is a good segue to yeah. uh, next week for us, which oh. is we're doing our Oscar episode. Oh, I don't – wait, okay. wait. I, I, oh, you want – sorry. You, I, I get it. We're, we were, we're going way long. Yeah. Don't really care. Um, I want to do the top five Pixar. Okay. Okay. Don't okay. you? Okay. Yeah, I do. We'll talk but about we both need to, We need things. to do this relatively okay. quickly. All right. I'll give you mine. Uh, this I, is my number one with a bullet. There's no question. What else Because it's got? the greatest American film ever made. <laughs> I mean, it's not even a, like, what's my favorite film in 99? What's my favorite Pixar? Right. It's like, th- this This is it for me. You know, I- I'd say I have a couple movies that are almost tied with it, but I give this the intellectual edge just because I go, this thing can't be tighter. Right. It can't be stronger. What, what it makes you happy? What is yeah. close? What's close to me? Bruce McCloud, the Robert Altman movie, which is the polar opposite. It's the sure. loosest, shambliest, free associative movie, but that's movies just on my wavelength, mm-hmm. comedically and philosophically. <laughs> but but I can't argue, like, I right. there are a thousand problems with that movie. And I go, what can I say? I love it. Love it as much as I love any movie. Just works for me. Toy Story 2, I can argue everything that's perfect. <laughs> sure. There. I'd say Robocop is just a hair below those two for me. Wow. Ed Wood's in my five. I'm looking forward to that episode. Uh, it's. I think it's a good one. Um, and then I'm trying to think. The fifth one is maybe a little more flexible. That's okay. definitely my heart. Those four. are your heart. That's four. awesome. Yeah. I, your RoboCop episode was fantastic. Thank it was you. One, one, of, it was one of my favorite episodes of your, of your podcast. But um, that's cool that you've done a few of them. And I could see an Altman I know. In, I, in your I future, push it, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, David, who I co-host the show with, is mm-hmm. also a big Altman fan. So w- if we did it, we would just do the 70s run because he, yeah. made, he made so many movies. movies. Yeah. 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 But the 70s run is pretty incredible, starting with MASH, and then we would fudge it a little and end with Popeye, which is 80, right. which is which the is run where he... Blank check movie. Right, and that's so, him so running weird. out the last inch of his MASH ca- ca- cachet. Okay. Yeah. Right, uh, before people were like, you're going to have to fight for every movie from here on out. And he did, and yeah. he made a lot of them. Yes. So, so my, my, I'd say my top five picks are I would go this is number one Mm -hmm. then I would maybe say and and this is the day Mm -hmm. you're asking me on this day it could shift (laughs) with the wind right I'd maybe say Ratatouille is number two I've really upped my appreciation for that one just in terms of how the fuck is that a movie (laughs) that is the sweatiest premise in the world (laughs) that thing should fall apart yeah yeah Uh, then I would go uh, I think original Toy Story, Wally Incredibles. I think that's my five. I'd say Coco is is six, sometimes cracking into five, and then I'd go like Inside Out, Monsters Inc., you know, Toy Story three. That's sort of my bottom five there. All of my five are in your ten. Okay, and yeah, I, I mean, think all of your five are in his ten, but yeah, we I mean, don't have I, the same. My, I mean, Wally's number one for mm-hmm. me. Then Inside Out, Incredibles, Toy Story two, Ratatouille. I'll say. I mean, on certain days, Wally's my two. Yeah. Yeah, Wally just Wally just kills me. Wally, Wally I mean, that, it, 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 it's, it's just yeah. it, it, it just it, it kills me. And, and that's Out another just, uh, yeah. that's another artistic audacity movie. Where it really you're is. Just like, I mean, it's, it's it's I guess his blank check in, in his own way. I mean, yeah, he just kind I mean, of that, really that's the end of the run. I mean, I guess John Carter that's, is. That's the crazy thing is that Toy Story 2's existence almost completely demolishes the Disney Pixar relationship right. because they were for years fighting legally over whether Toy Story 2 counted as one of the movies yeah. against their five yeah. picture deal yeah. because it was released theatrically right. but Disney said yeah but we originally thought it was direct to video and they were so burned by that that Pixar was like fuck this I mean I remember when here. Pixar was very close to leaving Disney like they were just like fuck it we're going out and that they produced three movies book. internally independently self-financed which they just said whoever acquires us you know whoever we get a distribution yeah. deal with they'll get them and those yeah. are up Wally and Ratatouille which are the three that are the, the weirdest yeah, yeah, yeah they could never sell to shareholders yeah. you know 
So what are I, your five? Oh God, I want to talk about more all these movies, know, but my five are very much in your five. It's Toy Story three, Inside Out, Monsters, and Coco. All perfect. Yeah, hundreds for me. Yeah, um, I and, think they've essentially made ten movies that are flawless. I, yeah, I would, I would agree with that. Yeah. And, and then, then, my my squabbles, if I had them, were are petty. Yeah, and right. then Wally is number five for me because I do think Wally, just for me, uh, is a perfect movie. Yeah. Dealing with things that I'd never imagined any movie, let alone an animated yeah. movie, to be dealing with, doesn't have the exact same emotional component for me mm-hmm. that those first four do. I get That's really it, worked right? up on Wally. I will say, when people complain about Wally, they go like, "Oh yeah, like the first forty-five minutes are incredible, and then once you get to the ship, it dips off." And I'm like, I agree, the first forty-five minutes are the best of it, yeah. but it's literally like it goes from being the first best movie of all time to being the fifth best movie yeah. of all yeah. time. No, like I'm fine with that drop off. And people forget too, like yes, I, I agree, like it gets it gets plottier once they get sure. to the ship, but you still get them dancing in space. That's oh, I mean, it's just, like, it's still, fucking incredible. It, it, that it's, stuff still is cracking. Yeah, it's, 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 it's unbelievable. I, yeah. I like the second half as much as the first half. I love the Eva relationship. Great movie. The relationship. I, I think, I think it's, it's yeah. so beautiful. I think it's um, just the audacity of the first half. Yeah. you don't get the same rush in the second half. Half of just like the movie still is as great as strong, but the first half you're like, how are they doing this? Just like I am Legend. Yes. I mean, <laughs> I don't get that reference. You haven't seen the movie? No, no I've seen it. Yeah, because the first uh, forty minutes or so is just Will Smith yeah. just driving around with a dog, and yeah. it's like, the whole oh, movie cool. Was the first forty-five minutes? Yeah. I kind of argue Will Smith would have won Best Actor that year. It's. It's good for the first 45 minutes, and then you're like, yeah. oh, then you know, I mean, I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm just, I, I just, anyway, yeah, yeah. Uh, so. Yes. Next, I, week. I, I, next week we are doing our Oscar episode. Sure. We're going to have uh, Eric Anderson on, who uh, does awards daily, and Todd Vanderwerf connected us. Yeah, and he's going to be great. Ninety nine's uh, a weird one because it's one of those years where yeah. you're like, do you want to guess of- what we're doing? We are doing one of the Best Picture nominees. You're doing one of the Best Picture nominees. I'm not sure where it ranks in the five. Five. <laughs> you say it's five I the five? It's probably five. You know, Cider House Rule? Yes. 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 We've, yeah. We've, yeah, that's we've, a hard five. We've done Green Mile. Sure. Yes. Which is five in a lot of years. Yeah. But uh, – it's, it's not good. But I haven't seen Cider House Rules since 99, 2000, whenever I saw it I mean, Cider House but... Rules was when Weinstein had, like, reserved parking. Yeah. Like, it was just <laughs> yes, like, there's exactly. one slot. He's going to fit yes. something in there. And that's And sometimes it's good and artistic and sometimes it's, like, a Lassie Hellstrom. It's, sometimes yeah. he slips it's a, it's a chocolate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you're like, yeah. it's fine. It's fine. So it's handsome. Whatever. It's, but yeah. it's an interesting year. The five nominees were, were a weird batch of movies considering 99. And you look in all the categories. Like, some stuff they got so right in ways that were kind of audacious where yes. you're like Tony Collette in Sixth Sense is an Spike example Jones. of a performance you think they would overlook. Spike Jones, like uh, I mean him getting a Best Director nomination, that's a big deal for were, being John Malkovich. Were Malkovic. there two lone Best Directors that year? Because what it was, it was Jones, was there, Michael Mann. Yes. Was there a international? M. Night Shyamalan. Darabont doesn't get Darabont nominated. Darabont doesn't get nominated. You know what? It was Topsy Turvy. Mike Sam, Lee, right? It might have. Uh, hold on. I right. think Sam Mendes wins. Sam Mendes wins. Think Topsy, I, well, it was Mike Lee who did Topsy Turvy, right? Yeah. Yes. I think he got a nomination. I think that's very positive because he they. They will do that with him a lot. I feel yeah. like they did the same thing with Vera Drake, where he got a lone director. Altman got one for um, uh, a, uh, a movie that was not nominated for Best cuts. Picture. Yeah, but in the later two thousands, it was like the no. You know what? I'm sorry. It, it was it was uh, Sam Mendes. Last night, Halstrom got one for Cider House. Are Rules. you fucking kidding me? <laughs> Wait, so there were there Spike Jones, Michael Mann, and uh, and M Night. Well, okay. how unfortunate. <laughs> I mean, it's I'll really say, unfortunate. I'll say four of those are really cool. Yeah. You know, not just in terms of the yeah. work they did, sure. but like, you know, yeah. men does all run hot and cold on before those, yeah. and, you know, and American Beauty has aged the worst relative oh, yeah. to its status at the time. Yeah. We've talked about it, even but though I like, still have we, affinity for it in some ways. It's, yeah. it's, 
I, I, you know what? At some point, yeah. we should do it again. I agree. After yeah. at the end of this, because it was our first podcast we did. Yeah. And we hate. I think it's a really kind of hard. It's a compl- movie It's now, a compl- but- We have a complicated relationship with that film yeah, now. Sure. I think for for a myriad of yeah. reasons. But ninety nine was just an interesting year. I look at the best supporting actress nomination as yeah. the one that I'm like. So you've got Catherine Keener being John Malkovich, Samantha right. Morton, Sweet and Lowdown, right. Tony Collette for The Sixth Sense, uh, Chloe Sevigny for Boys Don't Cry. And then the winner is Angelina Jolie for for Girl Interrupted, which is arguably not the one that should have won. I would agree. And I I was going to say all of these are worthy winners and I was forgetting who won. Right. I I don't think she's undeserving. I I think the other four are better. She's the weakest of that. Literally, if any of those other four won, you'd go, that was a year the Oscars got it right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think – look, I, I really do think Kathy Keener and Brian Jamakovich is the best supporting actress performance in the history of cinema. It's incredible. I, it's unbelievable what she pulls off in that movie today yeah. uh, in kind of a Tilda Swinton and Michael Clayton way. Yeah. Because she's incredible. Not, it's not, it's not flashy yeah. in a very no. flashy movie with yeah. Cameron Diaz wearing a fright wig and weird acne. It, it's deceptively so, complicated work. Yes. Yeah. That she it's, makes look easy. I mean that's Catherine Keener's thing is somehow she makes everything look very casual and breezy. I think it was just a year and I think we've, we've obviously talked about this yeah. ad nauseum to a certain extent. But it was a year where the, the, the gluttony of, of how many great movies we had yeah. and these are the five nominees it is strange. It everybody. It kind of did. Like I mean you have your Magnolias, your Being John Malkovich, right. Eyes Wide Shut. A whole bunch of just like movies that in, a, in any other year yeah. would be you know. Talented and I would argue Keener – uh, yeah, I mean, Kate Blanchett, talented Mr. Ripley, she's as fantastic. As any of them. But uh, I, I would say Keener, uh, Savigny, and uh, uh, Colette yeah. are all the kind of performances that people usually complain about not making it in. Right. Yeah. And all three of them got in. Yes. Jolie, where that was the Star sure. is Born Oscar, sure. which they'll do sometimes where it's just like we got to deny yeah. that this person. And then who's the fifth person again? Uh, Samantha Morton, is that who it was? Right, yeah. which is another example where she was viewed as a surprise that she got in. Exactly. And it was like, that's a performance that no one is giving credit to. She's going to be slept on, and then she gets the and nomination. She gets nomination. And then you look at the Best Supporting Actor, and you're just like, Michael Caine wins for Cider House Rules, which is just over crazy. Tom Cruise. Over Tom Cruise for Magnolia. Yeah. Over Haley Joel. Uh, Haley Joel for, for Six Michael Sense. Clark Duncan, who's the only reason that movie works. Yeah. Sure. It's true. If you're going to give that movie credit for working, yeah. you know, you can have your problems with the character. And, He's doing good work. And the that. fifth one in that category is Jude Law and Talon Mr. Ripley, yes. which wins, I think, 99 out of 100 years. Yes. Right. Yes. Right? Because like, yes. that is that's your the male star. That's the star. That's the star. Yeah. That's the male star. He is such a star in that movie and yeah. so yes. good and yes. so beautiful. But, like, also fucking Tom, Tom Cruise. Cruise. Tom Cruise is fantastic in Magnolia. That's him basically sort of at the last moment of real relevancy on an awards level. He tries to get it back yes. a little bit he later. He is as good in that's... that movie as Buzz Lightyear is in Toy Story. <laughs> Agreed. It is that same, yeah. it is that same yeah. thing where... I, I'm, I'm right, because we all agree. I mean, if they had run Buzz as supporting rather than co-lead, and that's the problem is that Woody and Buzz sabotage <laughs> yeah. each other and neither got in Best Actor. Um, no, and, and the cruise thing is you just kind of can't imagine... Uh, he's the last... A movie star who will ever be sort of that big yes. and that kind of clean as he was up until a point where people became way too aware of what's going on inside his brain where it was like this guy is just a symbol. He's just an icon and he's like a technician who knows how to operate his own vehicle. You know, he's like an amazing totally. sports car yeah. that's well handled 
And the fact that he had the audacity to do that performance That's the thing. is the crazy thing. Now, I remember at the time, a lot of people going, well, it's like Tom Cruise and he's winning the precursors because like people can't get over like the fact that it's weird that he took on that movie. It's kind of stunt casting. Is it true grit? Is it Ingrid Bergman and like Murder on the Orient Express? Mm-hmm. But now you watch it, you go, no, that's probably the best pure acting he'll ever do. He is and one of the best there. performances of that entire decade. He's fantastic. I mean, first of all, that movie just was brutally slept on at the time, yeah. which is yeah. – which, which, we are enormous fans of that movie, and we can't uh, wait to too. eventually cover it. Yeah, but it, it is. I think just, it's my number two, Anderson. It's our number two. My number one is being John Malkovich. Number two is Magnolia. Oh, you, in you're talking about the year. Oh, oh number. I was. I was talking. Uh, Paul uh, Thomas PTA. Anderson. Yeah, it's. Yeah. it's, it's but ninety nine. I would one. say it might yeah. be my number two in ninety nine. I can't think of anything else that would rank up. I mean, it would be Malkovich. That's and yeah. and Magnolia would yeah. be two and three, and those, I don't know what it yeah. that was. Yeah. Well, we did, are, we did this independently of each other. Those were our one and two. Those were our one and two. But it's but. To, to see what Tom Cruise does in that film, there there is a, a level of courage for him, which yeah. is it's it's not something that he generally does. Uh, I just I don't know. I really respect the hell out of him doing Eyes Wide Shut and Magnolia in the same yeah. year. Crazy. You're just like this guy really took his stardom for a spin, and it just didn't pay out in terms of awards. He should have but, won you know. both awards. <laughs> well, and I'm serious. Yes. Best actor, best supporting actor. I think I what did I didn't yes, I give yeah. it to? Yeah, yeah. I think he's I yeah. think he's the guy. Yeah. I think movie stars are less precise now, which is both. Good and bad. I mean, I think it's better in terms of people being able to take more artistic risks. But he was like sort of the last of a model where it's like you are the franchise. Mm -hmm. The franchise is Tom Cruise's face and name on a poster and you have to maintain that. And for someone who was that much like every Tom Cruise movie has to make a million dollars off of the face alone, which he keeps doing even through like Vanilla Sky and shit. Those two movies are crazy choices for him. To be like, I'm just going to hand myself over to directors who want to use me in ways where I have to give up control. And the work he's doing is very good, but he's still letting other people control the context and control what they're saying with him. One of whom is 30 years old. Yes. And had just only done – did two movies. Both brilliant. Crazy about those two movies. But like to give over that version of Tom to that guy – Transcendent. Because he was a a director-driven movie star. He wanted to work with top-tier people, but he'd usually match them with a piece of source material and a character that was in the Tom Cruise wheelhouse. Can I get a better person to do this? Can I develop it with them? You know? I will say that all of this – what I'm excited for is is when – time catches up with Tom Cruise and he stops looking the same age. At some point he will. And he becomes a supporting actor and he stops being... And and we get to see him do... Yeah, get to see him do weirdo shit because he does feel like a guy who, when eventually he's not the hottest guy in the room, he will start to do, I think, interesting things. Maybe There are a handful of guys like that where I just, like, ten years ago was like, oh, fuck, can you wait until, like, he finally gives up the thing and becomes the character actor we always want to be? But you have more and more of these guys holding on to their star Looking images good. for longer. Because, yeah. I, I mean, I feel the same way about uh, Bruce Willis. Yeah. Where I thought, like, Looper and Moonrise in the same point were like, yeah. this is the year where he's finally going to settle into yeah. deconstructing his persona and letting other directors use it and becoming the good character actor he always was. Yeah. And then it's like, I, I think he's very good in Glass. I saw it last night. We'll talk about it off air. The movie doesn't use him a ton, but you can tell that he's locked in. I, that you, I agree with. That you agree. cannot say for any other performance he's done since Moonrise and Looper. That's, that's very true. He, and most of them go straight to Redbox, but you just get yeah. the sense that he doesn't care and that he would rather be the guy with the gun in a Redbox movie yep. than be the interesting supporting guy yeah. in, in a, you know, a Jeff Nichols movie. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it, he's Bruce Willis is, is a guy who he's just never going to let it go. Which but is I annoying because he's it is so annoying. good well, when he But cares. I don't think Tom Cruise is going to age in the same way that Bruce Willis is aged. Like, Bruce Willis can yeah. still be the action hero, whereas the second that, like, Tom goes gray, for instance, or... You're right, because Bruce already had the balding, and he already right. was kind of unconventional right. as an action guy. He right. had the weird vulnerability. He will be Clint Eastwood. Like, he'll be the guy who's fucking... He's going to yeah. have a gun until the day the he thing, dies. Whereas, weird. I don't think Tom is the same The thing, thing that's weird about both these guys, to me, yeah. is they both kind of reckoned with their mortality... In the 90s, which, yeah. is, like, Bruce Willis had accepted that he had moved on when he took on the Pulp Fiction role. Yeah. yeah. Right? Right. And, and then he fucking killed it. Yeah. And it brought him right back. Same with Tom. Like, the reason Tom came back was because he's, like, he was couch jumping, Scientology, all that shit. Yeah. Tropic Thunder. That's the, that's what brought him yeah. back into right. everybody's good graces, where yes. he is playing When he this, made fun of himself. Made yeah. fun well, of I'll himself. Well, I'll say, I mean, my yeah. problem with that is that, not a way I'm really going to criticize it, but I feel like the Tropic Thunder thing is so clearly to me a strategic move. Oh yeah. Whereas oh, the sure. Willis thing just feels like he'd given up. Why not do this guy's movie? Who knows if I'm a movie star anymore? And then he's oscilling back and forth between like his more conventional stuff and his weirder plays and whatever. But, uh, you know, cause there's that weird like nineties Bruce Willis, like I want to be a comedy star wilderness yeah. Yeah, yeah. with like death becomes her and bonfire, the vanities and even Hudson Hawk and whatever. Yeah. But then like you go late nineties for Bruce you have uh, his two biggest movies ever are commercially Armageddon and Sixth Sense, where Armageddon is based on the idea that he's the old-timer now, that he's not the hot young thing, Mm -hmm. which even though it's a movie that, like, idolizes him and sexualizes him as, like, this incredible, like, oak tree of cinema, it's still like, yeah, but he's the old fuddy-duddy now. And then Sixth Sense is M. Night going, like, I'm going to bring the the surface, subterranean, sadness of this guy right yeah. to the level and then unbreakable is doubling down on like bruce willis is sad that's the thing we liked about him <laughs> there's some wounded oh, quality yeah. in him yeah, that's yeah. the key to die hard is that mclean's kind of broken yeah, and sort of miserable yeah. and it was like that felt like early 2000s like we're getting somewhere really interesting and then you know he just wants to be old clint like he wants to and not even like unforgiven old clint but he wants to be doing like tightrope or whatever just, you know i, just, I don't know i sanctioned like I, there's a lot of stuff I like about Bruce Willis, and 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 listen, I think he's I think he's a tremendous actor. I think he is very good in Glass. I actually don't think the performances are, are, are the issue with Glass sure, that I have, sure. but I, I just I do wish that he'd give up the ghost a little bit and just just a little bit. And that was but. the thing that got me so excited, even just when the trailer for Glass came out, where I'm like, he grew the sides out, yeah. and he's totally white, and yeah. the beard's kind of yeah. shitty, yeah. Like, he's owning the fact that he's playing the older, depressing version of yeah. his character who was already kind of old and depressing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on, oh, Griff. What a pleasure. It was, I mean, truthfully, this has been... What we, can we, we say? We are huge, huge fans of the, of the podcast. We're thank a huge you. fan of you. Yeah. Um, this is a dream for, for our podcast. I'm just so glad so I got to talk about this movie. Great. <laughs> this podcast started because Phil and I enjoyed blank check so is much. that true that is true it's, that yeah. is true so i remember sweet, yeah. we were sitting at that, some restaurant so yeah. and he was talking about your run through the dreamworks spielberg movies yeah. and the concept of the podcast really appealed to me yeah. 
And I, I mean, I haven't listened to every episode. I've listened to. I haven't. Asked. Yeah, I've listened to a <laughs> yeah. hundred episodes yeah. of your podcast, yeah. and uh, and we really, yeah, we love it. This has really been a pleasure. Thank for you us. so much I, for coming. Thanks on. So pleasure much. was all mine. It was so, so excited. Uh, it was so touched when I heard you had been keeping this one reserved. We in we case. did. It was right. uh, very intentionally uh, intentionally done. I'm so yeah. glad that we were able to make it happen. My truthfully. sister's yeah. so pissed at you. Really? Does she want to talk about this I'm one? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm at PMiskov on uh, Twitter and Instagram. We're at Podcast Like 1999. Kenny is at Nybart. You're at Griff Lightning. Griff Lightning on all social on media all platforms. Social media. Blank checks available wherever podcasts are uh, heard. And then we have our Patreon show now, which is uh, franchises. Uh, and and please, 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 please watch The Tech. Uh, <laughs> I don't know when this is coming out. Uh, it'll be in a couple I, weeks. I'm, I'm not waiting to promote season two. No, no, I want no. people Everyone watching season watch one I now. Mean, yeah. I want to restate. I injured myself doing dialogue. <laughs> I literally put my back yeah. into this show. So, uh, so uh, yeah, you know, I, I just ask that you give it a chance because we, uh, we hope that you'll come back if that's oh, possible. We'd be happy you know? to. I, now I'm trying to think of what I would want to. We'll touch. send you the list. Yeah. Okay. Something there's, totally there's different. about yeah. uh, 220 yeah. films left sure, to cover. Sure. So and television and what have you. So we'd love have to you done back. Galaxy Quest yet? We've not done Galaxy Quest yet. Yeah, that could be some, that could be something very. Could be our Tim Allen expert. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Let me corner the market. <laughs> we also haven't done Mystery Men yet. Fuck! Oh, you're really tempting. Me. <laughs> no, but 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 in, in fairness, Phil has kind of remarked that for Dave. I hope that Dave will come on for for Mystery Man. I, I don't think, know. If that's I think that's a get. I think you can get him. I, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm hopeful. I'm I'll hopeful. throw it out to him. Yeah. Um, we're also hoping that we can get uh, Ben Hosley on for uh, Julian Donkey Boy. <laughs> <laughs> I, feel... I also think very dual. I mean, the thing we, with the we, two of them is they don't like to uh, leave the tri-state area. <laughs> yeah. Well, we can, we'll do it on Skype. Sure, but, sure, sure, sure. But either way, thank you so much for being on. We really, really appreciate thank it. Thank you. Thank you for listening, everybody. Yep. Podcast like it. Just podcast like it. Podcast like it's 1999. Podcast like it. You want a podcast like it? Podcast like it's 1999. Podcast like it. Just podcast like it. Podcast like it's 1999. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.